1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
0: Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, let's go win the NIT, I guess, day.
1: Yeah, let's, uh, let's go do that, I guess, because... Might as
0: well. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not going to not play in it, not so... Not doing
1: anything else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nothing better to do for the next couple weeks.
1: And all the other top seeds in our region already got knocked out.
0: You know, nineteen and fourteen with a seventeen and three home record is so goofy looking. I realize now as just, I look at the bot score.
1: This looks horrendous.
0: <laughs>
1: you know what? I was saying this on Twitter. I'm actually more scared of the bottom three teams, other than UNC Greensboro in the region, than I was of the other three.
0: I I, I will admit now. I don't know what our region looks like. I know we're playing Ole Miss on like Saturday morning at like eleven a.m. Uh, prime time game, uh, but. I don't know anyone else. That's, I, don't, I barely know who else is in the NIT. I've, I think today will end up in the first ever NIT game I've ever watched all the way through. And I didn't even know. I, that wasn't like a conscious plan. If I wasn't recording this podcast, I might not have even uh, watched it. So, um, But here we are. I figure like watching a Syracuse game before recording a Syracuse podcast was a, a novel idea. And it was, you know, all things considered. If you take away the whole like our season is over and we can't actually win a national championship thing. Kind of a fun game.
1: Still a Syracuse basketball game. Still only one half of basketball.
0: Yeah, well, what are you going to do?
1: Not a full half. It was like 10 minutes at the back end of the first, and then 10 minutes at the back at the front end of the second. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was a very
0: fun 20 minutes. I guess you could say it was the second and third quarter since we have NIT rules now, and there are quarters, except we don't define them as quarters because, you know, that would, that would make too much sense.
1: Wow, why make, why make things easy? Um, so, Dan, <laughs> for, for yourself and the uninitiated um, to the NIT bracket that we are in, the Syracuse region, as, as one has dubbed it, um... Belmont ran all over Georgia today, so... I saw that. Georgia's out. Um, Georgia Tech f- beat Indiana last night in, in one of the creaniest creams to ever cream.
0: Well, it's even creamier if you if you have the conspiracy theory that Indiana declined a home game because they didn't want her to do food in front of, like, 2,000 fans at the Assembly, at assembly Hall.
1: Way to go, guys. You you, you then spend so money... So they played
0: at for- Georgia Tech even though they are the higher seed, which is amazing.
1: Silly nonsense, people. Um, so, yeah. And then... Um, what else happened? Oh, and then Ole Miss beat uh, Monmouth. They kind of ran him off the floor last night. Um, the final score didn't really indicate that, but uh, Ole Miss was really in control the whole time. Um, they've got several bigs who were going to create some real problems for us on Saturday. Um that uh, that matchup's not great for us. I really wanted to play Monmouth again. Um, as I said before, I think the teams that are left all pose the 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 biggest challenge for SU, especially because like maybe Ole Miss doesn't isn't really playing with like a ton to prove, but uh, Belmont sure as hell is. Um, after they you know fell in the Ohio Valley um, tournament for maybe the second straight year. I don't. I gotta fact check that, but. Yeah, Belmont put in a really great season. They finished like 25, 26 and twenty six, six, something like that. Um, so yeah, they, they were probably underseeded, uh, and you know, as a result, Georgia kind of pays the price. Um, luckily, we wouldn't have to face them uh, until a uh, until an a little quote unquote elite eight game. Um, so it's either it would either be them or uh, or Georgia Tech, who we're of course familiar with.
0: Yeah, um, I'm yeah. fine not playing Georgia Tech uh, yeah, just because. Like, I, I think we're better than Georgia Tech. I think we, you know, handled them pretty easily at the Dome last time. Obviously, we lost the first game narrowly. But it's like, if we can't avoid playing ACC teams that know our know our stuff, um, Ole Miss is, like, decent. You know, they twenty 21 wins. They're 21-13, which in the SEC isn't, like, the greatest thing ever. But they were fairly competitive. I think Andy Kennedy's a pretty decent coach overall. Um, I'm looking through their schedule now. I, they beat, beat St. Joe's. Uh, they beat Memphis, who, you know, isn't great, but has talent at least. Um, they beat
1: Vandy once,
0: right? They beat Vandy once, which is a thing that some teams to do all the time, and some teams like Florida could not do for, to save their lives. Um, they beat, uh, eh, no one else super notable, South Carolina once, which is fine. We couldn't do that, obviously. Um, so they're an okay team. They're not great, but um, they are certainly a team that you could buy being a little more... Uh, interested in playing hard in the NIT, and I was—I don't think this was actually the case uh, uh, coming out. I think Syracuse played fairly hard today, but um, I could have easily seen Syracuse coming out and laying an egg considering, you know, where the expectations were from this team, being in a, a huge letdown spot just two days after learning that they wouldn't be going to the tournament. Like, I, I would have, it wouldn't have been a good look, but it would have been hard to, like, totally not understand how they could come out flat. So, they didn't, especially offensively, defensively, they weren't great, but, you know, they haven't been great sometimes this year. Um, offensively, I thought they played really well. Uh, Andrew White clearly is going to try to uh, put his mark on the record books as he uh, plays a couple extra uh, games here for the Orange before making his uh, his NBA draft run. Um, and yeah, just, uh, you know, at least if they're, if they're going to play these games, which really don't mean that much for a program like Syracuse, at least play them hard and, and I guess like try to be entertaining and storing 90 points like I'll take that.
1: Yeah, I'll take that. It's been a while since SU's really looked that prolific on offense. Obviously, Andrew White uh, put in work yet again, um, scoring over 30 points. He, uh, he's, we're going to have an interesting conversation about him when the season's over um, because I don't know what his, his future prospects are as a pro, um, and I think there's a lot of polarizing views on him because uh, half of Syracuse fans are dumb. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> that's not to say that it's just Syracuse. I think half of any fan base is dumb. But half of Syracuse fans have been have been really riding White and Gillen pretty hard all season. Um, Imagine
0: if we didn't have them, we would be so bad.
1: Oh, we, we wouldn't have won ten fucking games.
0: <laughs>
1: to, like to, to literally, quote, to, to quote it, one gentleman, they were associated with Syracuse basketball.
0: Yes, like I, they, obviously they're going to forever be tied to this one season. To that's all they had here. And Gillen was a very up and down player. Um, obviously, he had some of the. Well, one of the great performances we'll ever see, and a couple other huge games, and and, sp- and some, what, three or four just massive shots, that if Syracuse had made the tournament, I think he would have a very interesting place, because he didn't have, like, he wasn't a consistently great player, he had some games where he was totally uh, abysmal, and he had some games where he just didn't show up, but he had some of the, like, just un- unbelievable moments, and then White, I think if he had just been a different kind of player, I think people would warm up to him, he really... He just floated on the perimeter all year. It was actually it, it was interesting in retrospect because he was a very different player than he was at Nebraska, where he was kind of the do it all. Um, you know, he was everything to that team. He uh, and he got to the paint. He rebounded. He did a lot for them. For us, he was basically just a three point shooter, and he ended up being really good at that. Um, I think uh, it's really hard to lay the blame at that uh, at those two feet. Either Dylan, who while you know shaky at times, was the only great point guard option we had. Um, without those two, this team would have been. Maybe the worst of Beheim's career, and instead it was one that was you know disappointing for a lot of ways, but also like you know not to re not to re, uh, do the whole you know should be in or out thing, but just you know on the other side, I don't think either of us are going to like write too much about not the tournament. All things considered, they put themselves in a position to make the tournament, or at least come close after an awful start um, by picking up just a lot of big wins. And well, you know they were all at home, and that didn't help, and some other, and they had some bad losses, but. Uh, the fact this team even contended for the tournament after how, like, December went is kind of shocking. And without White or Dylan, I honestly don't know if this team, like, it's a, it, we joke, but I don't know if they would have won 10 games.
1: Yeah, I, I have to agree. And you know what, it's funny. You look at how White started the year and very much, like, looked like a, a spot-up shooter. And then suddenly he looked like a chucker for an extended period of time. And now, you know, in, in these last few games, he has actually kind of honed into a really efficient shooter. And a deadly efficient shooter um, from three, uh, went seven of nine from behind the arc. Um, today, SU, once again, shot free throws really well, 82.1%, hitting 23 of 28. Again, I'm not really sure how this reality happened, but I'm fine with it. Um, John Gillen had zero points on zero, well, sorry, he had zero shots. (laughs) He had zero threes, obviously. He had four free throws. He scored four points at five assists. Um, don't really understand how you play 28 minutes and don't take a shot, but that's, uh, that's kind of what happened, um, Andrew White also broke a record for most threes hit in a season, uh, marked set by Jerry McNamara, uh, which makes no sense to me, um,
0: but I
1: guess it's true.
0: They 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 showed that graphic. I assume that was a true thing that happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, Again, do and do I guess really it makes make sense that sense? such a uh, such a high percentage of his shots were from beyond the arc, and Jerry was taking like you know Jerry was was the point guard for the team, so he was. Uh, much more a ball handler, where White was more of a catch-and-shoot guy all year. So, and, and we played at a fairly, um, you know, there were games where we played a pretty high uh, high pace. Today was one of them. Um, and he had some of those games where he hit, like, seven, eight threes. So, um, it's surprising to hear, but I guess if, like, you go back uh, and look through it, considering how many games, like, White ended with 18 points, but it was, like, on four threes, and he was very quiet doing it, um, I guess I'm not, like, overly sh- shocked about it. Yeah, I guess that's fair
1: um also of note tonight we brought up there is some um, some uneven play um su was up 10 at the break uh extended that lead to 20 or so um and then decided to make things interesting uh in part you can blame bits of the uh the new rules uh but you also blame su just kind of taking their foot off the gas which was um something that we, we've come accustomed to
0: Yeah. Um, again, like there, there was definitely uh, it, it played out like you know a lot of Syracuse teams, especially like ones earlier this year, um, and and you know for all the the griping about UNC Greensboro, like they aren't a bad team, they're not a great team, but they had twenty five wins, they were you know in a position to make the NIT as a team out of the SoCon, so and super um, and and apparently just the most motivated team. Their coach was was firing off tweets hot. Um, their Damn. fans were just so annoying this whole week. Um, yeah, just they, like they, really, they
1: climbed into top 10 hate territory, like, really easily. Like,
0: they were, it was like baby Clemson. Like, it was really bad. You, If you guys are listening, if UNC Greensboro fans are listening, I don't even know if I'm like, you should maybe take this as a compliment. You guys were so goddamn annoying this week. Like, I, I did not care at all about this game when it was scheduled on Sunday night. I cared a little bit when I came to game time today, and that's all because of you guys. So, congrats! <laughs> yeah, you,
1: you, you guys were you guys were hilariously trigger triggerable, like in, in a seriously, way, in a way that I've, I've I've I haven't seen since a certain election. Um, you all, <laughs> like the, the the amount, like the thing is, it, it was a top down triggerable, and that again, you can draw whatever comparisons you want there, um, <laughs> where the, the the city started throwing bows, and then it just kept going. Um, and then, you know, Wes Miller, like, with his stupid tweet yesterday, and, like, this guy, like, all caps, tough, competitors, all this other crap, like, <laughs> dude, you gotta...
0: Our guys are tough. Okay, dude, like, you had to stay in, Syria. You had to stay in the hotel for one extra night. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus.
1: Our bad. The Sheridan must be terrible this time <laughs> of year.
0: Yeah. I know it sucked. You couldn't go outside. Like, what? I know Destiny closed early. You couldn't go to the food court. Like, You'll survive. What, you were in the Sheridan for an night? Ooh, sorry.
1: Christ, I hate this team. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like,
0: I, I tweeted, about- like, right after the game, uh, I was like, I just, I don't want to hear about Greensboro. The city, the team, anything at all about Greensboro until we have to build it for the ACC tournament again, assuming they don't, uh, you know, figure it out and move it before 2020.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to end up there. I'm just, I,
0: I have a hunch. Uh, you think they're going to move it? You think didn't going to win out uh, <laughs> on his way out?
1: I mean, I would love it if it's...
0: Everyone getting really mad about beheim <laughs> Everyone getting really mad about beheim saying that this week, and then Beheim retiring, and then them moving the ACC tournament from Greensboro in 2020 would be the funniest thing that's ever happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd love for him to retire after winning it in Greensboro. Like, not even, not even oh like a tournament. That... Like, just go in, yep, I'm done, this is my last game. He... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Retires before the NCAA. Yeah. He's just like, he's
1: like Mike. Know, take he's over. Like he's like I'm out. Know what? The, 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 hold my Drops the mic. This was the, 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 the this was the tournament I've always cared about. It might not be in a city I give a shit about, but and this is the tournament I've always wanted to win.
0: No, what he should do is he should coach next year, and then the game of the 2019 season or the 20 as the 2018 2019 season, we should play at UNC Greensboro and then he should retire after one game of that year. <laughs>
1: I, I, I would applaud that.
0: <laughs> Announce it at midcourt on like ESPN3. Oh, God. <laughs> uh. Boeheim's pettiness knows no bounds.
1: Uh, to be honest, I, I, I'm waiting for him to say something on the radio tomorrow.
0: Oh, God. He might have said something tonight, we just well, don't know, because, you know, again, this was the NIT opener.
1: Right. Um, for those who have been keeping track of where Syracuse would have been playing um, if they had made the tournament, um, Providence seems like they're handling USC um, pretty well. So there's mm-hmm.
0: that. Um, Wake Forest forgot to play defense and lost to a media Kansas State team ball giving up 93 points.
1: That sounds like what Wake Forest would have done against us.
0: Probably. <laughs> that was bad. Like, I was. I was... I was kind of rooting for Wake Forest because you know it was not nice. To my my, who you know new listeners, uh, is a Wake Forest senior now. Um, until this football season, he had never beat his team had never beaten him on in anything of, of consequence. I was like, you know what? If anyone's going to steal our bids, Wake Forest, that's fine. I'll support him. And then last night, um, and I <laughs> last night at like eleven thirty nine or something, I get a text for after his only NCAA tournament game of his college career. Uh, well, that fucking sucked. It's <laughs> like, yep, that that is that is the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Welcome, Alex. You you made it Welcome. to the Tuesday night of <laughs> and, the and, NCAA and, tournament.
1: <laughs> now you get to a part into the world as a, as a grizzled
0: adult. <laughs> <laughs> How was your college experience? Well, we uh, our football team beat my brother's sorry football team once while I was there, and then uh, basketball team went zero for one in the NCAA tournament four years. So that was that. John Collins should have won ACC Player of the Year, though.
1: I would agree. Um, so enough about Syracuse basketball and this is everyone's fair warning we're going to come back to Syracuse football but we want to talk a little NCAA tournament because even though we're not in it everyone here is still probably filling out a bracket Um, so we're going to kind of give away the secret sauce and who we're picking Um, and then I know both of us are in the noons competition Um, most of the readers and listeners are in the noons competition we'll be giving updates on that um, after every round just kind of give everybody the scoop on uh, on who is in the lead um so dan i know you and i spoke earlier and our brackets are both pretty boring because
0: I, I feel up. like everyone's is i don't know anyone who's like really gone out on a limb this, this year as far as i can.
1: they're just I can tell. with the top teams like the real top teams just haven't been there haven't been a ton of injuries of late And that's kind of... There's the Florida
0: one and the Oregon one, and that's, like, that's basically it.
1: Yeah, like, and there's, like... And I don't even consider them the real top teams. So, like...
0: I think Oregon could have made a run if it not for, like, getting put in the bracket they're in. Like, they got a really tough draw. Oh, yeah,
1: they're screwed. Uh,
0: And Florida, same thing. Like, Villanova... I mean, I think there's a huge line of demarcation basically after, like... Honestly, after, like, the 3 seed line most places, I think there are a couple teams below that, but, like, only a handful. I think the top... Three really, top two or three lines are all really, really a lot better than like the rest of the field, except for maybe like a handful, a smattering of like I think Notre Dame to be dangerous. Um, listeners know that I'm a weird like Notre Dame apologist for basketball, and there's a couple others, but like overall, I just think there's a huge separation between like the tenish halves and then everyone else.
1: Oh yeah, and and this is, I mean this bracket's perfect for me, noted Oregon, Baylor, and Gonzaga hater to uh, to pick some losses very early um so so, so thank you college basketball gods for uh for handing me that that i'm fully legitimized and picking very early losses um for all of these teams um dan who is your biggest first round upset that you picked
0: um i didn't do anything as i'm looking through Dan to make sure i'm not forgetting any i didn't pick anyone higher than a 12 i do have three of the 12s winning. Um, I have UNCW beating Virginia. Uh, I just don't like how Virginia's been playing at all. Um, I don't think they have a go-to scorer, and I think Wilmington, uh, they played Duke really hard last year. They returned most of that team. Uh, I think Keith is a a really solid coach. I I started, uh, he popped up my radar when Gottfried got fired because I think there's a fair chance he ends up getting that call up. Um, And then I have Nevada beating Iowa State. Um, That is pretty much only because Iowa State uh, has burned me in the tournament like five times. Uh, so I have Nevada beating them and then beating Purdue uh, and going to the Sweet 16 as, like, my, you know, some double-digit seeds that I make it there. So that's who it is. And then I have MTSU, our good friends, uh, beating Minnesota and then losing to Butler. So I have those three 12s going. And those might be the... Well, I have Wichita State winning because everyone does. Um, and I have VCU winning around... I think that's all my double-digit seeds winning uh, around. So not that many. I just don't think... Oh, URI. I have URI beating great. Um... But overall, it's a pretty – I think it's a tough – I think it's going to be a very top-heavy tournament. Uh, I think that might mean we have a boring-ish two days after last year, which, like, was, was the most insane two days ever. And then I feel like the, the the back end of the tournament where, like, the actual basketball fans are watching, um, I think they might get the payoff. I think the, the, the last two weekends might be really, really good.
1: Yeah, I, I buy that. I have a couple – like – I've read a lot of good things about St. Mary's, and I've only seen them play a couple times this year. Uh, I wanted to pick VCU in the worst way, but after seeing what uh, Rhode Island was able to do to them, and knowing how good St. Mary's is according to advanced metrics, um, I ended up going with uh, St. Mary's over there. Um, they So that removed one of my double-digit seeds. I have Wichita State not only beating Dayton, but also beating Kentucky.
0: I... I- I was thinking about, I just, I couldn't pull the trigger. Wichita State, for me, like, they look really good, and their numbers are really good, and then, like, I, I just go back to them playing any competition earlier this year, and they just weren't there. They just weren't at that level. Right. Kentucky, this year, I mean, they could. They could beat Kentucky, because Kentucky does not, not come to play every week, and it wouldn't be a shocking for this team to go out in the second round. But I think if Kentucky plays a B game, it will beat Wichita State by 15. All right. That doesn't mean they will, That because this Kentucky is team... Like, often this year just was not, did not play up to their level. Um, if Malik Monk isn't being very active, uh, they struggle a little bit. Um, although, if De'Aaron Fox isn't going to play the way he did in the SEC championship, it doesn't matter. But, um, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking. Wichita's a good team. I just don't think they're quite as good as, like, some of the numbers say they are. All
1: right. I uh, I, I don't <laughs> doubt you there. I, uh, I, I think for me, I was going to pick Kentucky to lose to UCLA anyway. So I just figured pick up the two points in case Wichita State pulls the upset.
0: That's fair. That's fair bracket bracket math. Yep. I have no problem with that.
1: I, uh, like you, I picked Middle Tennessee to upset Minnesota because I don't buy Minnesota at all. Um, I also have Butler going if several rounds. I had them upsetting
0: UNC actually. All right, I, I like Butler um, this year. I think they're kind of floating under the radar in terms of like
1: only because they lost. How age. Butler teams everyone usually? Everyone wins. forgot about how good they were after like one Big East uh, tournament loss.
0: Yeah, and I imagine would Xavier—I wonder what would have happened if Xavier didn't win that game. I don't know if they would have fallen all the way out. I don't know if we would have replaced them, but I think that definitely helped. They, they probably would have gotten flipped with like one of the first four, and maybe that would have—I don't know. Maybe that would have been enough for Syracuse to jump them. I don't know.
1: I feel like Xavier and Uri were, were the teams that got us, especially because of how—since both of them were 11s, even with their big wins—
0: yeah, and URI obviously got like because they both got big wins and they got the auto bid. So like if URI hadn't gone on that run, man, but I think by the end, I think if URI had lost to VCU, I think they probably still would have snuck in based on how the the one shook out. Maybe I think they the were what in. like forty six, maybe the play in probably. Um, the problem is like would then Syracuse have jumped someone else? Like it's it's tough. I mean it's it, apparently I don't know. I got I didn't get the sense that Syracuse is all that close when hearing the slutch and too many people speak. So I don't know. I don't want to get too worked up about it. I, I again, like, I, I probably would have taken Syracuse over a couple of these teams um, based on the big wins and just my straight up bias, but um, it's it, the losses were so bad that it's hard for me to like really get that passionate about it.
1: Fair enough, I would have to agree. Um, some other upsets around. I have Uri upsetting Creighton and Oregon um, before they lose to Louisville. I've got Vermont beating Purdue which uh, I actually went with, I only had one 12 over five upset, and that was the MTSU one. I have several um, 13 and 14 upsets, which are, are rare and is really a dice roll. Um, but I'm, I'm rolling against teams that I don't really believe in. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm once again, Dan, I am going back with Iowa State after, after they burned me last year from when I picked them to lose in the first round. Um, because for some reason I I thought, you know, previous results would indicate future returns. Um, I picked New Mexico state to beat Baylor because ha, and I would love to see that happen. Um, pick Marquette over South Carolina, like just about everybody else has. Uh, and that's really it. I didn't have like a ton of double digit seeds, but I had enough of them, um, I also figured no matter what, I had SMU beating Baylor or New Mexico State, so figured, again, some bracket math um, doesn't leave things to be all too surprising. And then we end up with, as you were mentioning, a pretty unsurprising, uh, you know, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 when all things are said and done.
0: I actually forgot. I have Marquette as well. Um, I just don't think South Carolina has enough uh, firepower. I think Thornwell's awesome. Um, But overall, I think Marquette's a higher ceiling team, and I think South Carolina... Um, if you take Thornwell or at least limit Thornwell to, like, 20 points in a fairly inefficient game, like, the rest of their team just doesn't, hasn't shown that's going to step up uh, and beat you. So I, I like Marquette there as well. I forgot I had that. I rather they were at 10 when I was looking through. All good. How
1: do you feel about the New Mexico State
0: pick? Um, I didn't take them. I thought about it. Uh, I'm supportive of picking against Baylor in all things, so... <laughs> They're a team with like a little bit like they're not out of nowhere. They're they're in the tournament a fair amount. They have like a you know somewhat of a pedigree, Um, and Baylor is just so like up or down aside from that lead eight run. I feel like they flame out in the tournament fairly often, and down the stretch this year, basically since they hit number one earlier this year, they just haven't been super impressive. So um, I think if I had to pick against a three, um, which I don't have any fourteens, I think I would probably pick. uh, I probably would pick against Baylor. Or you could argue Oregon. I, I don't know that Ione is quite good enough for it. I'm yeah. um, I think I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with New Mexico State, but I know that they fielded some competitive teams. And Baylor just doesn't seem... I think they're probably the worst of the threes. Like, I think UCLA and Florida State are hard to argue against. And Oregon, if they were fully healthy, I think they're really a really strong three now, not as much with Boucher out. Um, so yeah, I think that would be my 14 pick if I was forced into one.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty. Com- I'm not super confident in it, but I'm, I'm as confident as it could be for a 14 beating a three. And, and how do you feel about Vermont over Purdue?
0: I thought about that one for a while. Uh, I took Purdue ultimately. I know Vermont's on what like a 21 game winning streak or something. Like yeah. they're a pretty good Vermont team. Um, ultimately, I, went with, I rolled the dice and went with Purdue. Um, I just think Swanigan is is really good, and and I don't quite see them going on the 13. But then I have them losing to Nevada, so. It it would be crazy, or uh, it wouldn't be like the craziest thing for me if they lost. So I'm not, I'm not buying on the Purdue uh, train in the tournament overall. But uh, I do have them probably winning a close one against Vermont. Although it it wouldn't, that would probably be the four that I would pick against. Honestly, I know Florida has uh, key injuries. I know uh, I'm not, I don't know about what Butnell is doing this year. Um, and I like Butler, so I think if I had to pick against a four, it would be Purdue for, for sure.
1: All right, I'll take it. Um. Why don't we do a little halftime here, and then we'll jump back in in our kind of Sweet 16, Elite 8, and then get to the Final Four. Um, Sweet. Dan, I know some of what you were drinking last week, but I uh, want you to talk about everything you drank.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess the first couple that I had, well, we have both had threes in Brooklyn back when John was uh, hanging out at the ACC tournament this week. I uh, hope, hopefully you enjoyed the Bar Play Center. I did, Um I had the Bad Faith by threes, uh, the There You Are by threes, and I think I probably had another one that I did forgot to check into, because I definitely had more than two beers. Um, but then I just must have forgotten to check in on untapped. Uh, clearly it's your fault for not reminding me yeah. while we were there. And then um, I don't think – oh, I had a couple other things I didn't check. I was bad on untapped this week. I had. Uh, have you had uh, Ballast Points Red Velvet Stout yet?
1: Yes, I was just kind of like meh nah on it.
0: It wasn't great, but I didn't know it existed, and then I just like popped up, so I was like, okay, I will have one of those. Um, it was fine. I'm not a huge stout guy. It wasn't like super... I don't know. It was like a, a sweet stout. It wasn't like crazy, but it was fine. And then uh, yesterday, I was at a dive bar uh, on the Upper West Side, braving the snow, and uh, found Mexican Cake by Westbrook, which mm-hmm. I did not expect to find at a random dive bar on the Upper West Side, so I had one of those, because I had to. Um, speaking of stouts, that is a much better stout and uh that was probably the first time i've had it since me you and uh aaron goldfarb who i know you spoke to earlier uh had it uh on the in the east village so uh that was a nice uh completely unexpected one
1: yeah uh dan alluded to the other podcast that's going up today dan, uh, where uh, aaron and i do our annual now um drinking the NCAA tournament where we talk through 64 beers and, and bracket things out accordingly yep. Um, so that'll be fun, and you can listen to that one along with this one. Uh, that one runs about thirty minutes, and this one will be your usual varying length of of nonsense and on-topic discussion. Uh,
0: on this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, and by topic we mean not necessarily Syracuse, but we stated that right at the beginning.
0: And what we'll do you expect? NIT like yeah, <laughs> they don't make the Zilli tournament. We'll focus on you. Exactly. That's that's our agreement here. <laughs>
1: So a couple things I drank. As, uh, as Dan alluded to, we, uh, we stopped off at Threes Brewing um, over in Brooklyn. I had a uh, You People IPA, a uh, Bone Shirt from Suarez Family Brewery. It was a black lager and maybe the best lager I've ever had, as I mentioned on Untapped. Also had a There You Are uh, double IPA from Threes, uh, Some other things. Uh got to have my first flower power in a while from Ethica Beer uh, when I was over at Barclays. Had a uh, 1933 Pilsner from Single Cut, uh, Green Room Pale Ale from Barrier. Um, stopped over at the Blind Tiger um, over the village and had a uh, Hill Farmstead Sumner, had Alien Church from Tired Hands, um, had Society in Solitude number 9 from Hill Farmstead. Um, over at Barclays, I had Brooklyn Lager, and those are whatever. It had a Slam Dunkle from Kelso. Um, I went over to Bergen in, uh, in Brooklyn. Really cool bar if you haven't been. Um, they have a great beer selection over there. Had a Ain't Nothing Nice, IPA from Other Half. Had Juices Flowing, IPA from Peekskill. Um, Peekskill is a, is a pretty cool spot. Um, I'd seen a couple things that Aaron uh, tried from them and, and gave it a, a chance. And really, really liked what I uh, had. I think I gave it like a 4.75 on uh, Untapped out of 5. Had a super local New York uh... pale ale from inner borough and i stopped over at other half on saturday had a mylar bags and a uh... nummy nug nug and then went over to folks beer which is a super cool spot um, over in brooklyn i had a, a glow up pineapple and a uh, glow up with satsuma mandarins um, it is a uh, berliner weiss so not the sexiest style but super well done i would highly recommend folks beer it's like an unassuming spot um, but but a really cool one nonetheless that uh that Aaron recommended to me. He and I actually popped over there for a bit. Uh, again, really cool place. And yeah, that was uh, that was that was the majority where of it. We're in Brittany, I haven't actually been over there. They are Where how to describe where that was? Hold on. They are over in Carroll Gardens.
0: Huh, okay. I did not know, I, I don't even know if I've heard of them before, but I will make a note of that since I make my way to breweries that I haven't heard of in New York City all the time because apparently new ones pop up like every week.
1: Yeah. Uh, and they're mostly
0: pretty good, like a lot of them are anyway.
1: Yeah, New York beer, um, Aaron and I were joking about it, saying like you know, New York, as far as beer goes, like they've almost become underrated because everyone just assumed that they would be overrated and because maybe for a time they were. But as far as distribution goes, and quality of bars and quality of breweries, uh, New York's definitely um, near the top of the pack at this point. And like you said, new ones uh, popping up all the time. The Folksbeer's has only been open a few months. Um, a friend of Aaron owns it, and it is a yeah really cool spot. Uh, they're not going to be making like you know your super sexy styles and all these like you know barrel aged bombs and all this other stuff, but they uh, they make basic styles really really well, um, and you'll see some additions like again that uh, that pineapple glow up and that uh, that mandarin uh, glow up as well. Um, just your simple simple Berliner Weiss, but but a very very good version of
0: that. I like that. I mean, I I, I like that New York's beer scene. Like, they're not all dominated by like you know everyone's making big IPAs or like everyone's focused on on sours or anything. Like, it seems like a lot of the breweries have like, very much have their own um, personalities and their own, uh, like, identities in terms of what they're making and, like, what they, you know, they go for, which is nice, because it makes for a nice, like, balanced beer scene where you can, like, oh, I want to go up to Single Cut and, and do their their big IPAs, or I want to go a Grim, and they have, uh, you know, once they open up their, their tap house, obviously, and, you know, they have more towers and the more experimental stuff, or go to Brooklyn, you kind of know what they, they're all about. So it, it's a nice, uh, you know, you, you're all over the map, but you can try a lot of different stuff it's not just like everyone's doing the same thing slightly differently
1: completely agree i think that uh that is definitely what makes it well balanced and, and a pretty nice beer scene um and there's a lot of cities that while they do good beer don't necessarily um strike that balance so i think that that's the, the advantage of being such a large city like uh, like new york but uh moving back to the bracket um Dan, going to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Who is your most surprising Sweet 16 team?
0: Uh, Nevada. I have Nevada beating Purdue, as I said before, and they are, I think, my only. I think they're my only seed above a six. I have SMU as well. Um, But it's pretty chalky uh, after we get through the round of 32.
1: That's usually how you win brackets.
0: Um, yeah, most- it's not the worst strategy. It's it's not you know it's not fun, but but I, I won't complain when like I have twelve of my sixteen sitting around, right? Or thirteen.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got Wichita getting to the Sweet Sixteen as a ten. I've got URI getting there as an eleven, uh, and I've got SMU as a six. Iowa State is a five, and Notre Dame is a five. Everybody else is chalk, so it's like it's like eleven out of sixteen are Chuck.
0: I feel like it's... Yeah. Yeah, outside of Chalk, I mean, I have SMU, I have Notre Dame actually making the elite I have them knocking off these ads, and then I have Halt Chalk in the south, and just Nevada um, in the midwest, so it's it's like one, it's three... Yeah, it, it's a lot of Chalk. It's like nine or ten out of fifteen, which is, you know, it's I think that's just the year it is. And... Either that means that you know it'll be kind of boring the first week, or you know everyone will light their their brackets on fire in the first weekend like last year, and that's that's fine.
1: Yeah, I remember two years ago I went thirty and two in the first round, which is like my best start ever. Um, and I've been doing this since like ninety nine. Um, and I so I was like you know I was losing it. I was like this is the year um, that like I just like sweep through this thing, and then of course. I mean, I still ended up winning money, but it didn't work out as well as I thought it was going to. Um, Last year, I thought I was dead in the water, um, and then I ended up doing really well that year, too, because while I didn't pick Villanova to win, I did buy into Oklahoma um, and North Carolina, which helped a lot. Um, So yeah, there there, there were varying roads to bracket success, folks. Don't think there's only one way to... uh, to do this thing you can you can do well early and fall apart or you can as long as you don't lose the majority of your final four teams the first weekend you you, ha- you stand a pretty solid chance
0: i think like for, for over eight i think you can lose uh a bunch of teams that you only have running one game and like it'll look oddly early but as long as you just keep your elite eight intact i think you're in pretty good shape just the people who win these are like the people who have like seven of eight down from the stretch um Obviously, you want to have, like, a fairly intact B-16, but uh, especially when those first weekends, like, are absolute carnage, like, the the people that are intact or have, you know, have 12 seeds going to the Elite Eight stuff, and, you know, they might get lucky on those, but odds are the the big upsets aren't going to go much farther than what they do in the first weekend, so I think as long as you, like, you know, I think being fairly conservative is not the worst strategy, like you said. Obviously, there are going to be years where you have, like, you know, a 10-seed or 11-seed Syracuse making a run, and the year that VCU and Butler made it, but most of the time, like, the, the Final Four and the Elite Eight are, like, pretty squarely within the, the top four-ish seed lines, and you might have one or two teams outside of that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you pick Chalk, oh, yeah. if you pick Chalk, I think you stand at least, like, a 50% chance of winning your pool. Just because, like, it's not going to be fun. You're just going to be sitting there rooting for favorites, but at the same time, yeah, like, if you have a lot of money riding on it, like, I think, what is it, all the three years in the last, like, 30 have featured at least one one seed. So, like, at the very least, like, you're getting at least one Final Four team. I know I've... Knock on wood. I've never been shut out of the Final Four. I've had one team out of four a few times, but, but I've never been shut out. Um, I hope that that streak continues um, this year. I did get a little... I got creative. Not really creative, but I got creative considering what this bracket is this year. Um... I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame Arizona seems like a little a calculated risk um, in the West region for an elite eight. Um, Butler UCLA even more so. Um, in the wet in the South, I mean. But I, uh, I ended up with uh, Duke against Arizona on one side, and UCLA against Kansas on the
0: other. Um,
1: only one one seed. I hope I picked the right one.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I've seen I've seen like a lot of I, I've seen like the same like eight or nine teams comprising of most final fours. It feels like um, I actually have the same West. I have uh, Arizona over Notre Dame. Um, I have Notre Dame beating the Zags, and I have Arizona beating Florida State. Uh, in the South, I have the uh, the two that you had. I have the uh, opposite uh, winning. I had UNC beating Butler and Kentucky beating UCLA, and I have Kentucky beating UNC to go to the Final Four. And then I have Kansas beating Louisville. Uh, I lo- I love picking Louisville in tournaments. I just think Kansas's backcourt is really really good. I think they're going to, assuming Josh Jackson doesn't like do anything else, like as soon as they like lock him in his room and <laughs> leave him there, except for game time. Um, they have like a three-headed monster. Like the fact that Devonte Graham, I feel like, has not had any real like impact on the uh like storylines of this basketball season when he is a really really good player. Um, is is incredible. Uh, So if they get any frontline production, I think they're really nasty. And then I have uh, Villanova beating Duke. I I was listening – I don't know. I feel like Duke – everyone's riding Duke real hard right now. Um, I think I was listening to the 538 sports podcast earlier where they actually posed that whole question about, you know, whether you want to ride a hot team that just won its conference tournament or just played really well on the stretch. It was interesting. They they basically said, like, conference tournament um, or, like, heat at the end of the season doesn't actually – uh, correlate with tournament success. Um, and that yeah. you, you more are yeah, you more are like the team you were during the season. And uh, I think Duke was, was a pretty good team all year. Um, but overall I just I, I just don't totally feel comfortable with their consistency. I have them going to the Elite Eight, so I have them making a nice run. Um, but I, I just feel way more comfortable with Villanova. I think Villanova's proven. I think they were good all year. Um, they we know they can win these kind of games and I just like their, their depth and their consistency a little bit more. So I have them going uh, to the final four playing Arizona. I think you just swayed me, Dan.
1: oh I, I, th- I think you just swayed me to, <laughs> to, to change my pick. <laughs> because I, I, the logic makes a lot of sense. Um, where things get rough for me in the final four is the fact that it's it's virtual home court advantage for Arizona, and that, I think, is going to play a big factor for them. Um, I think if Arizona, yeah, it's
0: in Phoenix, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. If, if Arizona gets to the final four, um, I think people should be very scared because uh, Tucson's not that far uh, from the Phoenix metropolitan area. Um, they will pack that place out. Um, tickets will cost a mint. Um, and that's going to be an inhibitor for a lot of teams, even if it's the big fan bases that we uh, projecting like Kansas, like UCLA, uh, Villanova, not so much. In terms of large fan bases that have travel, and they just did this whole thing last year, so I'm not really sure if the cats are going to show up, especially out west. But I could be wrong.
0: I mean, I think with Villanova, that's always going to be a concern. Um It depends on now. Now, if you're Villanova, you want to hope that the, the rest of the crowd is fractured. On it's not that big a. Arizona, that's tough, but you know there'll still be whomever else there. And the problem is, like Arizona isn't like a super unpopular team. I feel like so. I don't know that, like Kansas or Kentucky or UNC or whoever fans will be more apt to rooting against Villanova or for Villanova over Arizona. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that would be a huge advantage for the Wildcats. I, I, it seemed I heard something like uh, that, like the t- local teams just don't really ever make the Final Four when when stuff's in their in their hometown, like which is actually kind of weird to me.
1: Well, there's also when you figure like Butler's really Indianapolis's hometown team.
0: Um, and, 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 and yet it hasn't made it in a while. So, yeah.
1: And, and they're like in the usual rotation. Uh, Dallas got it like once Atlanta, like Georgia, Tech, Georgia tech's not like a team that really gets there much like, or Georgia. Yeah. And like Houston, same deal. Like when it comes to Texas schools, the Texas schools just aren't really that great at basketball. Like Oklahoma was about as close as you're going to get. Um, and even then like Oklahoma gets there just as often as the Texas schools do. Um, for the most part, um, all the rest of the Midwest states, like, you're not going to... It hasn't been in Detroit in a while, like... And it probably won't be for a while. Um, so you're not going to get, um, you know, your Michigan or Michigan State advantage there. And then they never have it out here. Like, Phoenix is as far as they'll go. And I think that eventually the Final Four ends up being in L.A. once the Ram Stadium gets built, um, you know, in Inglewood. In but until then... Um, there's not, really, there's not really a place to have it um, out here. I know the, the 49ers stadium up in Santa Clara is a, an outdoor stadium, so you wouldn't have it there. Um, I know at one point in the 90s, they had it in Seattle. Um, but again, that was kind of a previous era uh, before they had it at football stadiums all the time. So you are a little bit more confined
0: uh, to where it can go. Um, big Minnesota will get it, but it's not like the Jophers the are going to make a big run anytime soon.
1: Right, and it's not, and I don't even know if like, Minnesota's really, like, that that much of a draw, just in terms... I mean, the same reason Indianapolis can be problematic is just potential weather issues. I mean, Indy, it won't get as cold as Minnesota. It's centrally located. I mean, when I was there a couple of years ago, um, everybody but Duke was able to drive, and Duke has so many, like, casual fans that it didn't much matter. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Arizona would be in a very unique position, Um should they they find themselves in the Final Four. I think UCLA would have an advantage out there, too. Um, Obviously, it's it's only a five-hour drive um, from Los Angeles to get out to the Phoenix area. It's a 45-minute flight to get to the Phoenix area from here. Um, You could very well... I have have Arizona versus Kansas, and Arizona beating Kansas in the Final. Um, And that's weird for me, especially considering how much I've picked against Arizona in the past. Um, But you could very well see a a, a Pac-12... Uh, an all-Pac-12 national championship game um, based solely on, like, proximity and fan support.
0: CBS would like that to not be the chase. CBS would cry. <laughs> so oh, hard. CBS would not be happy. Uh, and I think those are both really fun teams. CBS would not be happy. Um, I don't um, mind like UCLA as much. No, I think Ball would be a draw, and you would have LeVar... Doing, oh, you know, being on every TV show for three weeks, which, you know, hang me now. Um, but overall, like, you don't ever want two of the same um, geographic area. I mean, I guess if it was like Duke-UNC, like, you'd probably be okay, <laughs> but that's that rivalry, I think, supersedes location. Um, but overall, I mean, we, we talk about it with football, like, you want Big Ten versus SEC or something. Like, you don't want um, two, I mean, Clemson-Alabama wasn't a great TV draw national championship because you only had one really national brand and both teams were in the same geographic region. Arizona UCLA I think would be even worse. Than that obviously they're pretty good basketball brands, but you'd much rather have Arizona Kansas or you know UCLA Duke. I think those would be do really well. Um, but I think Arizona UCLA would be a really fun game. So
1: yeah, I would have to agree. Um, I mean they've they played this year obviously. Um, And I think both was able to kind of sell myself in on Arizona. It makes me think I might have been too hard on them the entire time. Um, I saw Mike Rutherford post an interesting article that that I definitely um, should should be discussed more at length. um, And that is, you know, when did America start hating Gonzaga? Um, You and me have always been anti-Gonzaga, or at least since we started the podcast,
0: right? I don't dislike them. I just, like, they... They don't make big runs. Like, they don't go deep in the tournament. They went to the Elite Eight. Uh, were they our Elite Eight game last year? Uh, or it the 16? They were Sweet 16. And
1: right. In the okay, Elite so. Eight, like, a couple of years before that. But that was the first time they, yeah, they, they played Sweet Team. 16 since, like, '99.
0: And I do give them credit this year. Like, they played a lot of really good teams early in the year, and they beat a lot of them. I think they're pretty good this year. I wouldn't shock you if they went to the Final Four. Um, I just I haven't seen them but yet. <laughs> so, um,. Yeah, once they do that, then I'll be way more open-minded about it. But overall, anyway, I think I have no idea the Sweet 16. I think they could beat Notre Dame to no, the Elite Eight. I think they could beat Arizona, probably. Um, doesn't mean that's who I'm going to be picked. So it's not like I hate the ads. It's just like I'm not going to pencil them in because of are the one seed because they've been the one seed a couple times now. And uh, the one year, they almost lost to a 16, um, which, as I'm sure you said, I'm not going to ride them too hard about, <laughs> but it still almost happened. And
1: a uh, couple years, you know, that.
0: they went out in thirty. Oh, yeah, I mean, not not referencing anything specifically. Um, I mean, there was a year they dropped, what, were they the were they a the one when they lost to Wichita State as a mm-hmm. something, is it an eight or so, nine? Yes. Is that a thing that happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, so they they are kind of a crapshoot when they're seeded this highly. And then last year, I think they were probably better than a lot of their, their higher seeded teams. They were, what, a ten? And they yeah. were, uh, they were you know, we beat them. But they easily could have beaten us and on the Elite Eight, and that would have been great. So, like they're a fine team. I don't have anything against their program, but I don't think they, I mean, I, I trust Arizona a lot more. <laughs> I think Arizona has, uh, one of the more underrated guards in the country, um, who, you know, miss half the season because of NCAA shenanigans, but, um, Trier's hitting his stride now and looks really good. I think Laurie Martinen is one of the more interesting, uh, freshman talents in the country. Um, and when you have a dart and a forward combo like that, I feel pretty good about you. So I have Arizona in the final, in the final four for that reason. Uh, But, I mean, I think the Zads wouldn't shock me. Um, Florida State wouldn't totally shock me. I I don't think they have the ceiling to some of these other teams, but they're super deep. Uh, Notre Dame, um, I have a strange basketball love affair with because of how they've played recently. I wouldn't pick against
1: them, but, like, and I guess this is where the conference tournament bias comes in, you know? Like, I, I would have picked West Virginia over them, for sure, and then for West Virginia to beat the Zags, but because of the ACC tournament, I'm now completely on board with picking Notre Dame to get to the early date.
0: I also, like, kind of have a bias against West Virginia in the tournament. I feel like they just haven't gotten it done. Right. I know last year they lost in the first round, but I feel like they've been riding, like, pretty high seats for a couple of years now, and they just haven't done much with them. You're not wrong. Um, and no- Notre Dame, I just, I like, when they're clicking on offense, they are so much fun to watch. Monzie Colson's, like, one of my favorite players in the country, so... Uh, I have them. I'm all. i all about Notre Dame winning. Um, and also, I know none of their football fans will tune in because they're all rooting for Duke. So, um, <laughs> so I don't. I don't mind the basketball fans as much.
1: Rooting for Duke and watching Penn State spring practice. So.
0: I, I tried to make this joke on Twitter, and I didn't quite execute it. But uh, the, the the general gist of the joke was uh, during the ACC championship, are our fans going to be more mad because this is when Notre Dame was winning by like ten down the stretch. Um, I was trying to figure out if those fans that were rooting for Duke basketball were going to be more mad about Notre Dame beating them in basketball than they were when Duke beat Notre Dame in football. And I couldn't quite get the joke out in 140 characters, uh, um, but I wish I, I just couldn't get quite the uh, the wording, but I thought it was a good one. So I'll, I'll do it now, like five, five days later. <laughs>
1: I, I approve. We were making similar jokes uh, behind the basket um, at the championship game <laughs> and, and, and making fun of Duke fans for their, like, god-awful cheers and some other things. I just... Ugh. Everybody, like, <laughs> I looked around and, like, I just, like, saw everyone, like, oh, God, like, all of you people are just the same person.
0: <laughs> the sheer caucasity of that ACC championship <laughs> was, was quite stunning. I, uh,
1: caucasity is a great word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ride with that. Um, all right, I think that's enough NCAA tournament talk. Um Hopefully a lot of fans are still watching. It is a fun time of year, especially the first couple of rounds. Um, and hopefully everyone joined the... Uh, Jokes and Garbage Bractacular, as uh, as we dub the uh, Noon's Magician Bracket Pool on Yahoo. Uh, if not, check the post, and you still have time to get your picks in before the uh, Noon tip-offs. So, yes, I actually haven't
0: joined that yet, so I'm, I'm glad you reminded me. I'm going to do it as we're talking about I'm Dissing Football now. Yes. Um,
1: you also can't search by name, so Jokes and Garbage Bractacular will unfortunately not uh, yield anything. You'll have to search the group number. I don't have it in front of me, but it is in one of the two <laughs> sponsored posts.
0: I, I found it, so there we, go, we, we are good to go. I will get my my expert picks that you can all copy because you're listening to this, uh, hopefully before noon.
1: Yeah, so actually, you guys are all stupid if you don't if you're copying the advanced picks.
0: Since we're, we're sitting, here
1: <laughs> <laughs> sitting here telling you... You what... can't tell me both,
0: because... We have different picks, but you can copy one of us, and, and you will finish no lower than one of us. Awesome. And then you can say, hey, you couldn't beat me.
1: <laughs> so the last couple of minutes here, we'll talk about some football. Um, the uh, The Spring Prospectus was released today uh, for listeners yesterday. Um, I love that SU started doing this. Um, it, it's a really cool look at last season and also a really cool look at what's to come this spring. Um, 22 or 23 pages this year of uh, a PDF um love for the football team definitely music to my ears and I know yours as well Dan
0: yeah I actually didn't get a chance to like totally jump in on this so I'm excited to hear what it has in store
1: (laughs) quite a bit um we start with the position changes um Dan and I have been kind of riding the one of Moneal or Dante Strickland is going to switch out to receiver um ends up that Moneal was the one um he'll compete with Sean Riley uh, for the starting inside receiver slot, um, opposite Irv Phillips, um, I'm going to assume that Moniel wins this job um, because I think Sean Riley, while he's going to see plenty of minute uh, playing time, I think his best contribution is still going to be filling in for Brizy Esteem um, in the return game.
0: I, I kind of agree. I mean, I, I just think they want to find a way to get Moniel touches. So, however they would do that. Um, it's fine with me. Uh, like you know, we had been talking about Strickland making this move for a couple months. It feels like now. Um, I, I mean, I trust the staff to make the right call there. Uh, they see these guys every day, so uh, um, either one, I think, is fine. And I, and I, I do think this is like always going to be more uh, about getting you know guys more touches rather than you know trying to bury them somewhere else in the depth chart.
1: Completely agree. Uh, they also switched another guy who was uh, at one point going to be probably in the second spot um, at one of the inside receiver positions. Uh, Tyron Perkins came into SU as a running back. Last year was a reserve wide receiver who really didn't see time. Um, now he's back at running back. He's a little over 200 pounds. Um, him and Strickland will split duties um, at least here in the spring. I think that bringing in Perkins is a really smart idea. Again, experienced ball carrier um, and, and someone who, while he's not going to completely move the pile at 200 pounds or so, um, he is someone who's going to serve mu- a much better purpose, uh, being you know in that backfield.
0: Yeah, uh, and running back to like one of those positions. I think that's maybe the most like intriguing position we have, just because we got so little uh, out of it this year. Um, and it, it, there, I, there's such, it's like a totally unfound territory for this offense, just because uh, it was so inefficient and so effective effective this year but we've seen you know what it can do uh, when this office is clicking closer to all cylinders so i think there's there's you know a lot of room to improve there and i'm excited to see what the uh, coaching staff does for for year two now
1: yeah and i mean anything that can stop eric dungy from having to take off 14 15 times a game is uh is fine by me yes that was really it in sure. terms of pos- position changes um, one of the other things, and you know, Stephen Bailey did a great job of, uh, of detailing everybody's kind of weight fluctuations. Um, there's a lot of, of, of gained weight um, at key spots. Um, Zach Mahoney and Eric Dungy are both above 220 pounds now. Uh, McKinley Williams gained over 40 pounds, um, which I think is huge, especially given Stephen Clark's uh, current health status. Um, he's going to be somebody to watch during the spring practice because, you know, I mentioned this today in the defensive line preview, um, his ability to, to grab, uh, you know, those spring snaps that would have otherwise been in Clark's and that time at the first team that otherwise would have been McClark. Um, Williams now has, I think, you know, he saw the field last year plenty, obviously, but I feel like now he's much better equipped. And, again, at, at a much higher weight, I think he's hanging around like, I want to say 293. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me. But hanging around there, he's much more situated for, for that position than he was at 250.
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. And and like you said, you know Clark's a pretty good loss. He played a lot of very valuable minutes last year, and hopefully everything works out for him. Because you know, pretty scary health stuff. Uh, hopefully you can see the field, but more importantly, obviously, hopefully he'll will be okay away from the field. Right, um, I mean, Williams is a really yeah. Williams, I think, is a really interesting prospect. Um, he's very, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's very rangy, very long. And if you've seen like, mm-hmm. I mean. The, I i am really into having like long de- interior defensive linemen to bat down passes i think that's kind of like a, a hidden inefficiency in terms of like the defensive tackle position uh getting disruption on the inside whether it's actually you know through a traditional pass rush or you know swatting stuff at the line or making it hard for shorter quarterbacks where there are more of in in college football uh to see over the middle so um having him uh yeah he's listed at tits four, 294 now, uh, would be pretty cool if he, if he can be a, a playmaker there. And then you have Chris Slayton, you know, next to him, also sits four, obviously a little heavier, like 315, who's more of a trusted a defensive tackle. But uh, definitely cool to see all of these upgraded numbers. Um, Dungy and Mahoney, both in, in the 220s now, is good, especially because, you know, they should be able to take, uh, not that we want them to take more hits, but hopefully, you know, there's a big difference between a 190-pound quarterback taking a big hit and a 220-pound quarterback taking it. So, um Dungy's not going to be a, uh, clean every game. Like, he's A, he's just not programmed that way. Uh, we can hope that he gets a little better about it, but he's always going to be kind of a more dangerous player um, in terms of taking off and running and everything else. Uh, so hopefully uh, a combination of things will help his self-preservation, and putting on you know, what looks like 20 pounds of muscle will definitely be part of that.
1: I would agree. Um, other players put on um, some weight, and the linebackers all added about 10 or so pounds. Um, and the offensive line all lost at least 10 pounds, and a couple of guys actually lost about 15 to 20. Um, so again, this is uh, all positives um, for what this team is trying to do and transform into. Um, I know Dino Babers was not a big fan of the strength and conditioning when he first arrived. Um, I know he was not a big fan of the shape the offensive line was in. Um, and obviously, you know, our old defensive scheme and the scheme that uh, you know guys like Kaden Samuels and to a point Stephen Clark and and definitely uh, Chris Layton were recruited to it was prioritizing uh, speed over over size Um, so it's good for us to you know add add some size now without compromising that speed which is still a big element but one that that balance definitely was off last year and you saw it with teams kind of carving us up between the tackles um, on on the other end
0: Uh, Portion is actually super interesting to me I'm just thinking about it now um, it'll be really nice, assuming Babers hangs around for a bit, um, to have uh, a, a focused offensive system for a couple of years, because our, I'm just like thinking about it, going back to even Robinson, um, I think Robinson's first couple of years, he liked bigger offensive linemen. Then I remember Mitch Browning was the offensive coordinator my freshman year, and he had them slim down a little bit, because he wanted more, not up-tempo, but he liked his leaner offensive linemen. And then Marone came in, and he was kind of around the same. And then Schaefer took over, and they bulked up. And then now we have Dino here, and they're slimming down again. So we've just, like, our offensive line as a group has been through the ringer in terms of, like, either trying to gain or lose, like, 20 pounds across the board every year. So the fact that we now have the same offensive system from year to year, and this, like, goes for, like, Marone, where we were switching stuff all the time, too. Like, it's impossible to have offensive line, like, play at op, at its optimal uh, capacity if, like, you're never quite happy with where their weight is, either too high or too low, and that's what we dealt with basically the entirety of the Robinson to Schaefer eras. Um, so now we, we know, and obviously they wanted to, you know, the guys to be a little leaner playing around 290-ish and, uh, because they play at such a high tempo. Um, so hopefully that'll, that'll be a benefit going forward, because uh, I was just thinking about this, like, yeah, they've been like yo-yoing between like, oh, we want everyone to be 290 and we want everyone to be 315, basically almost every year, or at least every two years since Uh, I got to campus and I'm like way old now, so not the, not the best.
1: Yeah. And they have also had, I mean, despite all that, they've had a lot of really uh, good offensive linemen. I mean, we've had what? Yeah. Seven to nine guys at least play in the NFL, which is I'd say pretty good considering where the depths of the program have been.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've have, you know, Pew, who's a a locked in starter. Andrew Tiller has been in the NFL for like what five, six years now. Uh, I mean, a couple other guys who have gotten at least cups of tea, if not more. So, yeah, I mean, we've had some quality linemen, um, for sure, uh, despite all of that, which uh, def- definitely not the ideal situation, but they've handled it pretty well.
1: I would agree. Um, I think that'll do it for us. Um, Dan, unless you had anything else about the football team or about brackets before we uh, kind of sign off for the week.
0: No, i uh, just, you know, I'll be... Dedicated my life to the tournament for the next four days, so you'll you know where to find me on Twitter if you want to interact with my content. All that,
1: <laughs> all, all those, all those hot hot sports takes and uh, and and tournament content and, and hot bracket takes, and lots of other things. always always I uh, I'll be sure since oh. I'm, I'm flying JetBlue on the way back uh, from New York when I'm back next week, so I'll I'll uh, I'll be having takes on a plane part two. Um,
0: oh, before we go, City of Greensboro, um, congratulations Syracuse on its first round NIT win. Proud of the effort by UNCG basketball. The orange emoji is welcome to Greensboro anytime. Very nice. Glad we closed this this rough era between our two cities that people don't want to visit. Yeah, the the, the seven year war is over. <laughs> <laughs> A war has ended. The time for pieces now.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure whoever like runs the Greensboro Twitter feed like just over it by the end. They're Like what the hell have I started? <laughs> Cuz I'm sure that they were like harassed and to, to no end.
0: Wait, are you saying that that people in Syracuse and Syracuse fans are also not rational about their city, much like apparently Greensboro fans are not rational about their city? Yeah. Exactly. Who knew we were so who knew we were so much the same this whole time?
1: Yeah, just like Clemson football fans. We were actually just separated
0: <laughs> at birth. <laughs> <laughs> we're kindred spirits. No, uh... Syracuseans and Greensboroans.
1: It's 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 just like that. Uh, what was it? Twins. That stupid Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't say that because now we're gonna have fans are fighting on Twitter over who gets to be Arnold Schwarzenegger and who gets to be Danny or who has to be Danny DeVito. Oh, Christ.
1: All right. What have you done? On that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for tuning in to Troy and Absolute Podcast. You should rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk,
0: and uh, go Orange. Future IT champions. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Napa know-how. Right now, you can get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card by mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium battery.